honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't. It's it's something that just happened because it was a product of everything we've already gone over. Um, as a coach, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love the kids, number one. If you're not a champion for kids, then what are you doing? Then you're in it for yourself. Um, and I'm proud to say that that Brent and I are never in it for ourselves and our, the coaches that we choose to work with and choose to have on, um, we see the same thing. So um, I never set out for that. I never set out for titles. I, Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half, Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, well, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete told through the stories of the important influential and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Tim Cox is my guest this week. When it's all said and done, he will undoubtedly go down as one of the most successful New Hampshire scholastic running coaches of all time. If you ask me though, the most interesting part of his story is not the accomplishments, but rather how he got here. In life, we are all given the opportunity for experiences to define us or to shape us. It's always our choice. As a schoolboy in Suffern, New York, the lessons he learned through athletics had an incredibly powerful positive impact on him. As a collegiate athlete, his experience was quite different, but nonetheless transformative. Through it all, he learned valuable lessons about life from the leaders, coaches, and mentors that still mean so much to him. Well, here he is, Tim Cox. Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Middle of the winter. Voice a little hoarse from still doing some coaching and um, just enjoying running and teaching and same old, same old. Well, it's good to see you. And uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to spend a little, little time with you. <clears throat> um, so I, we, we communicated a little bit back and forth uh, prior to the show today uh, as I was uh, giving you a little bit of my, uh, my show prep. <clears throat> um, and I, I actually uh, also just shared a, a photo with you. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I was doing some, some, uh, uh, some show research and uh <laughs> Uh, actually, and, and the show research really was me scrolling through your photos on on Facebook. And as I was <laughs> and as I was doing that, uh, I stumbled upon uh, an iconic snowshoe racing photo that uh, uh, Scott Mason took at the 2010 uh, Beaver Brook snowshoe race in Hollis, New Hampshire. You 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 know the one, right? The, oh, yeah. the that mass start um, with all that powdery snow flying everywhere. Uh, now you were there. And yep. you're, you're actually in that photo, yep. despite the fact that all you can see is your red hat behind yeah. behind Jim Johnson. Um, yeah. so you you finished second behind Jim that day. Yeah, luckily. Uh, 
<laughs> what do you well and yeah i mean there was a there was actually a, a a pretty talented field i'm looking at the photo now i see i see dave dunham uh, yeah. i see uh, bob jackman i see chris smith sean snow is is yeah. uh is actually right behind you uh our 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 teammate uh beloved teammate jeremiah fitzgibbon is in that, that photo too anyway what uh what do you remember about that race i have no business being there I had no business being a snowshoe racer. I, it, it was, uh, you know, that's kind of reserved for mountain racers. And I'm not great at running. I wasn't great. Never. I was never great at running hills or running mountains. And um, I, I've come from a track background and uh, I love cross country, but that's totally different. You know, it's um, it was mostly from getting to know you and seeing some of the common names that we had back in those days, like, like a Dave Dunham, like a, like a Jim Johnson. And, um, that were, they were talking about how, how much fun snowshoe racing is. And I just, as at the time of my running, I wouldn't even say it was a career then. It was just my running experience where I run so many road races, dabbled in the marathon a couple of times and, you know, track and cross country. It's, you know, I'm, I, gosh, that was, I was 37, 38, you know, so I wanted to try something new and um, I was darn lucky to get second, <laughs> not knowing what the heck I was doing. And um, just you told me what snowshoes to buy. I bought them after <laughs> barring them a couple times and just jumped in with both feet, I think for a season or two, but it was definitely a brief uh, snowshoe racing career. And um, but it was a lot of fun. And especially when conditions were great. I mean, conditions are great. You, c you can't really beat it for a wintertime sport uh, or competition anyway outside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and as you, as you think back on, on those, on those days, uh, and those winters, um, uh, in which, you know, you, you dabbled a little bit, uh, in snowshoe racing, did, did you find that, um, when you spent a winter or two, uh, doing a little bit more running in snowshoes and racing in snowshoes that you oftentimes emerged in the spring, maybe just a little bit fitter than you otherwise normally would be yeah. as a, you know, as a road runner or trail runner here in New Hampshire. I mean, it's, it's not easy as a road mm -hmm. runner or, or trail runner or track mm -hmm. athlete here in New Hampshire to kind of keep your fitness high, yeah. uh, in the wintertime, just because conditions are always a challenge. But, uh, I mean, did, did you, did you feel any of that benefit associated with being on snowshoes, uh, at least in that, that brief period of time that, that you raced on snowshoes? I definitely felt stronger. <clears throat> um, I definitely felt uh, refreshed uh, from the grind because I used to do a lot of indoor track. So it was um, it was doing something new. And you're obviously not using different muscles, but you're using them differently. Um, it definitely refreshed me mentally and made me stronger physically. But I would not say it made me faster. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think that was snowshoeing's issue is me getting older and yeah. and my priorities changing um yeah. some of my fondest memories are you know my family being there and and my son and my daughter tried one addison tried one and that was it for her <laughs> but uh my son aiden had had a blast doing it so it's it's something that you know at that time in my life i was looking for for ways to spice it up um for my kids also and also for the kids i coached i mean we we were able to, you know, finagle a couple of kids, talk some kids out into trying it. Um, kind of never more than once. That's <laughs> surprisingly. But um, <laughs> but we were able to use that a ton. So I love it as a, a you know, when we had conditions like we had sort of consistently. Um, I love it and still do. I still have my snowshoes. I still jump out, you know, once or twice when we have good conditions here. 
Um, but it's, uh, I still love it as a cross training activity. It doesn't beat you up. Um, if you know what you're doing and if you're on good condition, so it's, it's, but the memories are fond and, and the more I thought about a couple of those pictures you sent and, and a couple of the experiences we had, it's, it just brought a smile to my face because it was just great times. Well, you know, what, what was special about those times is that, uh, well, there are a couple of things, at least in my opinion. Um, first of all, you know, back then, um, 2009, 2010, that sort of time frame is when, is when you were, were racing and, and I was racing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there literally was a snowshoe race somewhere in New England and, and, and oftentimes yeah. somewhere in New Hampshire, um, you know, nearly every weekend in the wintertime, generally the winter is about 13 weeks long or so. Uh, and so at least for me, and I wonder about for you, uh, snowshoe racing really sort of made the winter fly by. Yes. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not an Alpine skier. I don't, I don't snowboard. Uh, I mean, I enjoy being outside in the wintertime. Um, but, um, but I, you know, I had no other, you know, recreational diversions to kind of get me through the winter, but snowshoe racing was, was, was certainly that for me. Um, and then, you know, the, the opportunity to, to stay connected to, and, and even, um, establish connections with, um, this snowshoe racing community Uh, to Mm -hmm. your, to your earlier point. Um, there were certainly a lot of people in at that time in the snowshoe racing community, that were trail runners and mountain runners. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you, if you were in the trail running and mountain running scene, then uh, you'd see a lot of those folks in the wintertime and snowshoes mm-hmm. and snowshoe racing. Uh, but there were also people came from other disciplines as well. There were triathletes and there were, mm-hmm. and there were cross country runners and there were, and there were road runners. And so um, while there was uh, some overlap between communities, trail running communities, snowshoe racing community, mountain racing community, uh, snowshoe racing sort of became its own sort yes. of unique community. Um, I mean, do you, do you, do you feel that way about it? Uh, looking back and, and thinking about those times? What I, what I really enjoyed was the new faces. Um, you're absolutely right. There was a snowshoe racing community the, the series when Whitaker Woods <clears throat> all the way, I mean, Cole Brown hosted, we hosted one at one point in time i mean it got it got super popular so you're absolutely right it was its own little community and in a very spirited way um i remember doing the side hiller it was one of the last ones i did the side hiller one of the last years it was held um the frustration of getting my snowshoe ripped off my foot in the first mile (laughs) and oh gosh but anyway but just the same people and it was just it's so supportive and you know, there are parallels for sure with tr- the trail racing, mountain racing community, because it's just um, it's a more cooperative versus competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. You are competing for sure during the race, but it's um, it just ed- it airs more on the side of, of cooperation as far as pushing each other, just like, you know, competition is supposed to be. But it's just not as as intense. You know, it's it's got that um, fun loving but competing, but competitive, but it's just a kind of, we're in this together against the conditions um, just as much as against each other. Cause the conditions for, for snowshoe racing was, were always variable. So yeah. you, you had to be ready for anything. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, it was it was sort of a way to scratch the competitive itch in the winter sure. time without it being punitive, right? Without yep. without without beating yourself up because yeah. maybe you maybe you didn't perform up to expectations because it was snowshoe racing, and and on its face it was absolutely ridiculous. You know, we were we were running <laughs> we were running with snowshoes with snowshoes on our feet in all sorts of conditions, yes. um, in you know in knee high unbroken snow to you know at times bare ground and and ice. I mean you. You know, you, I you, think my you, first one was with Mike Amarello was down in what was that one? The, the, the conditions were were awful, like now knowing. And I think we all our snowshoes got busted up, and <laughs> but we all wanted to be there and do it. And it was my gosh, that course was was hell. You know, up down, turn around. I was surprised we didn't jump off a cliff, and it was just it was awesome. So don't I mean, get me I, wrong, I, but I I do remember at times yeah. as a snowshoe race director, uh, I will admit to actually shoveling snow onto the single track yes. so that we would yes. have snow to, to run on. Yeah. Um, th those were very fond memories indeed. Tim, for the for the listener who doesn't know Tim Cox, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, I'm Tim Cox. How you doing? <laughs> um, I'm a almost fifty year old. Uh, father, husband, father of three, been married for 22 plus years and have lived in New Hampshire for just about as long. I um, was born in Connecticut, but grew up in New York, um, grew up 28 minutes from Yankee Stadium. So, you know, what my it's in my blood. Um, have a mother-in-law that's a staunch Red Sox fan. So we have great spirited discussions at dinner. <laughs> uh, then went down, grew up in New York, went to Suffern High School, a very traditionally athletic school. Um, I ran cross country and track <clears throat> and played baseball, ironically, my freshman, sophomore year. Um, but then when I batted 227 my sophomore year and I was on the varsity cross country and track teams, I'm like, I think I should give this a shot. <laughs> Finally trained in the summer and and um, and was able to have a real good second half of my high school career that I could, that I translated into um going to UNC Wilmington, which is a D1 mid-major school down on the coast of North Carolina. Um, got some of it paid for, thankfully, and um, met my wife there. Got my, my degree. I'm a teacher at Cobrown Northwood Academy, a very proud, small, awesome school in the middle of New Hampshire in a one-stoplight town right smack dab between Concord and Portsmouth. Um, that is really my pride as far as professionals working there. Um, as a teacher and a coach um, for my adult life. I've been there for 22 years and um, ended up in New Hampshire because I met a Massachusetts girl and when I was in grad school and um, she was too. And um, after she finished her master's degree and I finished a couple of years teaching down in, in North Carolina, we wanted to move closer to family. I still had family in New York and she obviously had family in Massachusetts. Um, neither of us wanted to move back to New York or Massachusetts. We wanted to move to a more... Uh, uh nature filled state if you will i wouldn't say rural because but it is what it is and we just wanted less people and more places to have fun regarding running regarding adventure regarding just being outside so new hampshire went out and um i owed a lot of it to brent kazik who has been my uh co coach for the same amount of time he actually was coaching and teaching at co brown for a year or two prior um, it was instrumental in getting me the job in the special ed program there and obviously coaching together. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the long and the short of it. I, I had a, a great high school experience. I had 
I had a, um, I'm still going to call it a great college experience because it shaped a lot of who, uh, how I coached, um, why I coached. And I really think the passion behind my coaching was because of my college experience. Um, and my competitiveness definitely, definitely has a lot to do with it. I'm a pretty competitive person. Uh, it's, it's definitely has, um, shaped over the years from being a, a very intense and not understanding uh, winning and losing very well as, as a young kid to high schooler to understanding the worth of losing um, and how to apply that to future athletic experiences. So um, yeah, that's the long and the short of it. I, I'm a, my biggest pride and joy obviously is my family, um, my kids, especially uh, and, and using uh, sports coaching tool experiences to shape them into strong, confident, um, strong and confident, healthy, good choice-making adults. And um, I feel like we're on the right track. And I have a, a, a daughter who's a second year at University of Virginia. Um, and I have a senior boy, uh, Aiden, and my daughter's name is Addison. And then I have my youngest 11-year-old who, you know, if Addison's the verbose, loud, emotional one like her dad. And Aiden is the quiet, reserved, but very intense um, competitor like like his mother. Uh, Broden is neither of those. He, he is a combination of both um, in a very good, positive, and hilarious way at times. Um, he definitely commands the room when he's in it, and it's uh, it's because we want him to command it. So he's just a, a great kid. So, you know, that's it. In a nutshell, that's, that's, that's me, I guess, and I'm sure we'll pull more stuff out during this talk. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that that was that was that was great uh, framing uh, for <laughs> for what I want to talk about. So I want to talk about all those those areas because um, uh, I, I I mean I, I think you have a really interesting story to tell um, uh, as an athlete, uh, as a coach, uh, as a as a dad and a coach, um, and I I want to I want to dive in into all of those. Um, but let's um let let's do this. Let's uh, for the listener. Let's um, let's share with the listener how you and I came to know each other, because I, you know, part of the spirit of of of, of this podcast is um, sort of me telling my story through the stories of the, the important, you know, interesting or influential people that I've met along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, you certainly qualify in terms of interesting, mm -hmm. important and, and influential. So so, you know, your story, Tim, really is part of my story. So let's um, let, let's talk a little bit about, about how you and I kind of came to know each other. But it, and, and, and to do that, let me let me set it up this way. So um, so those that know you as an athlete, right, uh, know you as an accomplished runner uh, who's remained uh, highly competitive and successful well into his 40s. But, but what they might not know uh, is that you're also a champion obstacle course racer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not technically false, Tim. It, that, 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 that is actually technically true. Um, my question is, <laughs> do you do you want to tell the story of the 2010 Hoppin' Mad Mud Run or shall I? I think you should start us off. <laughs> uh, so, that was a um, lot of fun. I mean, that was a blast. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Uh, sort of to, to sort of to, to back up to get us to, to, to 2010. Um, we came to know each other uh, thanks to my oldest daughter Madison, uh, who ran for you at Co Brown Northwood Academy. Um, 
And, 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 and I, I mean, I want to say, Tim, we were probably introduced in 2008 or so, mm -hmm. uh, 2009, 2008, 2009, my daughter graduated, actually my, my two oldest graduated in 2011. Yeah. Um, so it was probably 2008, 2009, somewhere yeah. in and along there. Um, and, but, but again, I almost certainly it was, it was because, um, it was because Madison ran for you, unless you remember something different than that. No, I, I just, I just remember you as a, a, obviously as a parent, but I don't know when you, when you coach as long as, as, as I have, um, you, and you meet parents cause you meet a lot of parents and the way we run our program anyway, it, it's very heavily, parents have to be heavily involved. We, we put on several events during the year, uh, where we wouldn't be able to do it without parent volunteers. But so, um, yeah, Brent Casey called called me the mayor a couple of times because I shook a lot of hands at our barbecues and I truly enjoyed doing that um, and meeting new people. So um, certain people stand out and, and you're one of them that stood out. You know, you can, as I think even our audience can, can attest for, you you see runners in crowds and, or you see athletes and you see um, folks that, that you automatically have a jaw to. Um, and you automatically know you have similar interests. So I remember that feeling when I, when I met you, um, but I was super impressed with Madison from the get go, uh, even though she's quiet, um, she always, she's, a, she's a pretty runner and, and she would, you could tell that, um, she was receiving the coaching and trying to apply it the best way she could. And that's all you can ask for as a coach, you know? So, um, that's, that's what I remember. And, you know, and then I started hearing and learning about acidotic racing. And I'm like, man, that sounds a lot like PR racing, which is where I spent the first 10 years up here and, um, and the competitive running scene. And I was looking for something different as that was waning. And, and obviously, as I mentioned before, so that's what I remember. And, and, um, I'm not great at remembering specifics of initial conversations. Uh, kids remind me of the first things I say to them. And, <laughs> A lot of times I'm um, in a weird way. I'm intimidated because there's 50 or 60 kids looking at you. So when I'm in intimidated, I, I have diarrhea of the mouth and I just start talking and cracking jokes. And one, one story is, and, and this is, they're all kind of my favorites in their own ways, but very quiet kid. And she is a basketball player and runner. And she on, went on to play basketball in college. And she said, the first thing I asked her, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud was, do you smoke pot? I think that was the first thing I asked her, but I think I was, you know, we were in a little bit of a, a quick diatribe about how, what we, what we, what our standards are. And, and uh, it, it, it was more of a levity type of situation. And she was just laughing. I think when I see her now, she keeps reminding me of that. So anyway, I went off on a tangent there. That was like early 2000s. I think we were still allowed to ask that. And I, I don't know. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what, what, so what, what I remember is, uh, of, of course, to, to your point, um, we did have a lot in common and, yeah. uh, and, and you, you, you absolutely showed an interest, uh, in what we were doing at that time competitively, uh, uh with acidotic racing, our team. Uh, and, uh, it wasn't long after you and I, um, uh, came to uh, meet each other, uh, that we were actually racing together as teammates, yeah. you and I, uh, in fact, you and I, and, uh, Brent Kazik, uh, <laughs> uh, our teammate, uh, Rye Fanestock, 
and yep. uh, and my best friend from high school, Dwight Hartman, yep. um, went down to Amesbury, Mass. In May of 2010, and we raced in the inaugural Hoppin' Mad Mud Run. Yeah. Uh, so it was a it was a it was a team obstacle course race, right? The mm -hmm. idea was that uh, our team time uh, was uh, the time of our last teammate to cross the finish line. But the idea is we you know we we would race through this uh, this approximately 10 kilometer course. We would race through it together. Uh, well, the first the first uh first two miles of the race were actually on pavement because we had to run around the yeah, back right. of this farm in order to get to the entrance of the the farming fields where all the obstacles all obstacles were yeah um so you know of course two miles on the road was was right up your alley and and brent's alley too i mean yeah. you guys you guys were 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 obviously still fit, but super fit at that point and particularly super fit on the road. Um, well, so we start and, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, um, you know, like within the first hundred meters, you had gapped all of us. Uh, I, I mean, you were probably easily running five Oh fives, five tens. I mean, you were just absolutely flying. I think at yeah. one point you looked over your shoulder and realized we were a hundred meters behind you and we were all <laughs> sucking wind. So you, you backed off a little bit, let us all yeah. catch up, but we still, that, those first two miles, I think we averaged like six minute miles. Uh, yeah. on pavement. And this is an obstacle course race. Now we haven't, yeah. we haven't negotiated any obstacles yet. Well, we finally get to the obstacles and it's a series of, 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 you know, climbing under things and climbing over things and mud and, 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 and tires and, I mean, all, you know, all the sort of, uh, a frames and ropes, <laughs> all the typical obstacle course racing stuff. So, um, so we finish and interestingly enough, so this is 2010, interestingly enough at that time, none of us were wearing a GPS enabled device because I don't mm -hmm. really think GPS enabled devices mm -hmm. were a terribly common thing back in 2010. In fact, um, Your cell phones invented then. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it was probably the dawn of them. Right. <laughs> and also interestingly enough, none of us had a stopwatch. So, no. uh, all we could basically do and all we basically did was sort of guesstimate at our time. Now yeah. turns out the event was chip timed. We had a, we had a timing chip in, in one of our bibs. And um, because it was a staggered start, team starting, you had no idea. You, know, you had really yeah. no idea who you were racing against. But we felt yeah. like forty-five-ish minutes was going to be pretty yeah. competitive. Yeah. So we stuck around for the award ceremony because we felt like forty-five minutes was going to be pretty competitive. And the award ceremony starts, and they they're going through all the awards. Well, they get to the they get to the all male teams, and they yeah. start reading off third place, and they call up third place. It's not us, so we're like, okay, we we got to be in the top two. They call they call the second place team, and it wasn't us. And now you yeah. know we're we're smiling at each other, fist bumping, like we we got this, like we won yeah. this event. Yeah. They call the first place team, and it wasn't us. Yeah. <laughs> What the heck? <laughs> and so all of a sudden, like all you, the rest of you guys looked at me like, yeah, what just happened? And you I'm like, go I, fix this, Chris. Yeah, you have to go fix because They were also <laughs> calling off times. And, you know, yeah. clearly our time was the fastest time. Well, yeah. I waited for the entire award ceremony to finish and wrap up. And I walked over to the, to the race director and I sort of, you know, very calmly, you know, explain the situation. Yeah. And right away, I, the, sort of the color went out of his, out of his face mm -hmm. as he realized what had happened. Um, they, they had suspected all along that the chip in our bib was faulty. Oh, there you go. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. The chip, yeah. the, the chip malfunctioned and our time yeah. was never recorded. Even though none of us had a stopwatch, <laughs> we, we, none of us had an official time. 
They yeah. took our guesstimated time. They did. And the race director actually went and 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 not only got us equivalent first place prizes, but yeah. also wrote us a check for for the first place prize money. In other That's words, right. he paid that. out he paid out the first place prize money two times. He paid it out That's to the, the people that he thought won and the yeah. people that actually won, which which was us. Is that um, race still around? It is. It's not. Um, well, we, that's why he pays double the prize money. <laughs> he, uh, we actually went back. We we went back the next year in 2011, defended our title, uh, yeah. and then I think shortly after that, uh, yeah. I I think that was probably about the time that things like Spartan races started to be yeah. sort of become prominent, and the little mom and pop races that we're doing it yeah. to raise money for charity just sort of had a, had a really, a really difficult uh, time competing. Um, yeah, Tim, you, I mean, you mentioned a little bit um, earlier about, uh, about that, that time in your life athletically, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, in which you were looking to do some, some things a little bit differently. In fact, at that time, not only, not only did we, you and I race together uh, in an obstacle course race, but um we did uh, we did a multi-sport uh, team relay, the Pinnacle Challenge, uh, right? Um, and uh, we also did uh, we did a mountain trail race Epic, called yeah. Mountain Epic uh, up at up at Sunday River. Yeah. Um, but so, but w- what was that time like for you athletically? Two thousand nine, ten, eleven. What 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 was it that you were looking for that that uh, that maybe was a little different than what you had been doing? It was definitely casual, um, it, because. <clears throat> At the time, uh, Addison was six years old, seven years old, and, and Aiden was four or five. And um, I'd made a, a you know, I was coaching a lot. So I, I was coaching cross country, indoor, and outdoor track. It's three varsity sports in a year. And it was just a lot. So I needed something casual. I'd, I'd worn out as an athlete um, because of my life, because of the balancing act of being a dad and a, de- and a, and a husband. And a teacher and a coach. And, and I was, I was exhausted, to be honest. Um, I was banged up a lot at that time, but it was mostly just exhaustion. And um, what your friendship and, and acidotic provided was me not having to think about putting a schedule together and just saying, okay, I'm just going to go do what Chris does and what acidotic does. And I'm going to keep an open mind. And I want to still scratch the itch of competition because the hop and mad mud run was a blast. The pinnacle challenge was a blast. Um, in Mountain Epic, it was it was kind of I wanted to in a casual way without having to plan. I wanted to challenge my body because um, you know you get I think every stage of life you're you're thinking you're at the end um, once you're over 30, 35. Yeah, um, a- athletically speaking, athletically yeah. Athletically speaking, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Correct. Thanks yeah. for the correction. But yeah. um, in in some cases, that's that's I love living that way because it, at that point in time. I was open to any kind of challenge. Um, <clears throat> the pinnacle challenge was awesome because it's a team. Like what I loved about what we, what our experiences were was, is, is we had the semblance of a team with whatever we did. And that's what I was looking for um, without having the, uh, you know, the obligation, so to speak, for like a New England Grand Prix type of deal. Um, but more of a, a, hey, what's the next adventure? Let's go see how we can do. And, and let's have fun and experience something new. So, um and I wanted to experience my limitations. Uh, I was still running a lot. It didn't mean mean that I wasn't running a lot. I was still running a lot. So the pinnacle challenge, but especially Mountain Epic. Um, again, I, I got to give a little credit to Brent Kazik and Amy Kazik with that one too. Uh, they they sort of 
that had an experience up there. And I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. I remember rate running with Amy on a portion of the race because she's super strong in the mountains. Um, but I also remember uh, descending and l- just learning a ton about my body and who I am as an athlete at that time um, and really trying to get the most out of it with with almost little preparation because of the time I had. So uh, not to be less romantic about that, it just was that that's what it was. I mean, it's um, it's very dedicated coach, still am in, in a lot of respects. So uh, that professionally teaching came first. Coaching was a very close one A. Um, and as professionally speaking, um, and running was a distant fifth uh, behind everything else. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody experiences this when, when you become a parent. And, you know, when Addison was born, when I was 31 years old, I never saw the, the other side of 7 a.m. But all of a sudden I found myself running and working out at 5 a.m. because I didn't want to miss anything. And I wanted to support my wife with everything um, we were doing for our kids. So it it, it became uh, more of a lifestyle. So um, it was more of what can I fit into my lifestyle without missing? Because I feel looking back, I missed I missed some because of coaching. And I didn't want my own. I just put my own aspirations in the back burner because mm. You know, high school, college, before kids, you can make it a priority. But when you have kids, and um, we prioritize that as a family and and as a husband and a wife, and that was really important. So that's it's kind of where I was. It, it wasn't um, a priority, but it didn't mean that I had didn't have fun and didn't have a blast and didn't learn um, a lot. And and I I really discovered that that time to to answer the question finally um the value the true value of of what we do um about exercise and adventure and outdoor sports and the true value of what it it, what it has on you as a person um you know notwithstanding the long-term health benefits but more of the day-to-day um not just stress relief but but the opposite of that feeling great about yourself um so that helped parlay into uh, my coaching my teaching being a husband being a dad because if you're not happy then it's hard to be happy for others, including your own family. So um, that was my way. And, and uh, obviously I thank you and thank Asadotic and thank all those, those events for challenging us. So it's, that's kind of, that's kind of where I was at. Yeah. I mean, they, they were, those times were, those, those were, those were different times for, for me as well. Um, Athletically, I I was, uh, um, acidotic racing as a team really that that was its zenith as a team um in terms of the the types of things that we would participate in the team types of things that we would participate in to your point pinnacle challenge we did the 24 hours of of great land the mountain bike race for uh for several years and uh i would be into that now because i've been doing a lot of fat tire biking (laughs) over the past four or five years for sure for sure for sure back then i did not have the confidence on the the skinny for sure sure. yeah for sure i know i know you have um and and i i mean we're going to get to this as when, when we talk about coaching but it's this idea of uh and 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 you know this from your certainly from your history as an athlete too particularly as a high school and collegiate athlete um there's there's something about the shared uh the shared experience of of being part of a team mm-hmm. and how those shared experiences uh, bond you more tightly to the people that you experience them with um Correct. you know it's it's any team sport, in my opinion, um, 
there's a, there's a much deeper connection to your teammates. Um, uh, particularly if, you know, if, if, again, you have the opportunity to, to share these, um, uh, these experiences. And I think even more so when you get to share these experiences in outdoor spaces, um, there's, yeah, there's just, there's a deep connection and deep, deep bond that's formed. I'm going to ask you more about that when we, when we get into coaching, what I want to, what I want to do though quickly is double back a little bit and pick up on something you mentioned about your, um, uh, about your, uh, your, your, your high school years and then, and then collegiately, uh, from, from an athletic standpoint. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that you, um, you only ran competitively for two years in high school, your junior year and your well, senior year. Yeah. Right. Full year. So I, I was always a runner. So, it, um, you know, I, I was always kind of the long distance guy. I, I grew up in New York and, and, uh, I ran cross country and, I, I ran cross. All right. Here, here's a funny story. You'll appreciate this. So we had a junior high school in New York. So it's a middle school, true middle school, seventh and eighth graders. And, um, you know, ran cross country, had a great experience. Uh, Mr. Isaac McCormick, phenomenal, great coach, great guy. Um, and then, but we didn't have indoor track for middle school. So in seventh grade, I went out for the basketball team, got cut. Cause I, I, I was a good defense. I played good defense, but every time I would drive, I get stuffed cause I couldn't jump. And, um, <laughs> My outside shot was not on at the time, so I got cut. <laughs> then there was an A team and a B team, and I got cut. So that's 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 I, I was really good at basketball. So then my and I did spring track, and then my eighth grade year, um, I was not going to go out for the basketball team again. So I was going to be I was going to try wrestling, but then the high school team, the the coach brought me up, so I ran indoor track as an eighth grader, um, and so I ran a freshman. And then freshman year, I ran cross country indoor track. But by the end of indoor track. The last sport that I could not give up was baseball. I had given up lacrosse, obviously basketball. <laughs> um, I gave up soccer. Uh, but it, it, it just like everybody's journey, you kind of find which sport you have a passion for. And I couldn't give up baseball. Plus, I was tired of running. So I didn't train on my own. I just went to practices. And, and I loved the racing. I loved the competition. I did not like the running. Um, but growing up in New York versus growing up in New Hampshire, Part of you can understand why we didn't have trails, we didn't have mountains, we didn't have beautiful places to run. It was around our neighborhoods and dodging cars, and you know sometimes that was fun, but not all the time. Um, so I needed a break, and baseball was was my fave. Um, I should have quit baseball my sophomore year, um, <clears throat> but I was stubborn. I didn't like to be wrong. I batted three ninety my freshman year, so I was full of myself, and I was like, I'll just come back and do the same thing, you know. But it, it's it wasn't until my junior year that I ran the 12 months that, that I even, I even preach to kids now, you know, and, and, you know, it's not to talk them into doing it. It's just to say, Hey, you know, if you are able to do this, then you'll notice a huge difference after 12 months of not running every day, but just consistency. Um, so that's when I first learned that. And I was super fortunate to have two great coaches coach me um, in high school. Uh, Joe Biddy, who, who actually ended up coaching for 49 years in the, in our, at our public high school. And then also Mr. Ralph Coleman. Uh, both are very different from one another. Matter of fact, I, I, uh, Brent Kasich and I, I he and I remind me of them. Um, super motivator was Mr. Biddy, like like Brent. Um, knew how to get the most out of his athletes, do, doing several different techniques. Um, and then Mr. Coleman was very much from the training aspect. Um, exercise physiology, if you will. Um, and, and he and I identified super well together. He was the head coach for spring track. 
Um, he was super pissed at me when I didn't go out freshman year, when he talked to me after sophomore year. Um, but then as a true educator, obviously forgave. And uh, we did some great stuff together. Uh, uh, ran 9-14 in high school, not on super shoes. Could almost run barefoot with the shoes we had, um, but it was it was it was a great experience. So I learned a lot about training uh, from Mr. Coleman, and I still use um, several of his workouts. Um, I used them for myself in college when I coached myself a couple seasons, and I worked with one of my teammates, uh, John Collins. Um, we still use Mr. Coleman's workouts, and Cole Brown sees Mr. Coleman's workouts almost in a, in a lot of what we do. Um, I might place them a little bit differently. I've adapted them um, for several, several years. We talked on the phone um, regarding what we, what I was doing and how I was adapting them because he just loved the sport and he loved hearing about it. So um, that, that, those were great experiences. Uh, never want to state title. Winning a state title in New York is pretty tough. That's such a big state. They don't even have team state titles for indoor and outdoor track. They have them for cross country. Um, we are we were vying for the state title, believe it or not, at, in the largest school class. Uh, my senior year, I didn't tell you this on our preliminary conversations, but um, and at the time I had like University of Virginia, which this is ironic. I had University of Virginia recruiting me. I got sick. Uh, pretty, We had a sickness go through our team uh, a couple of weeks prior to the state meet. It was my turn state meet. The state meet uh, was held on a very muddy course, um, rainy day and and we were in the middle, and, and if anybody's seen cross-country races, if you're in the middle and the sides kind of come and crush you, and I, I got crushed, I fell, slid across the mud, and I'm not exaggerating, 15 feet. Our number two guy, Sean Boyle, tripped over me, <laughs> and we both went down. And, our, our, and of course, what did we do when we got up? Sprinted to the front. Yeah, right. You ran as hard as you could to catch up. Instead of being top five. Individually, I was like 57th, um, and we our, our dreams died a horrible death. Uh, University of Virginia stopped calling me because it was just phone calls then. I mean, that's how life works out, right? Um, and then uh, here's the other. So I go to UNC Wilmington, and my roommates are from Longwood High School in Long Island. They were the state champions, <laughs> and my roommates had a video of the start, and the video is of me sliding into the picture, curled up as a ball because I was afraid of getting spiked in the head, and Sean Boyle tripping over me. You see it. They have a video of 1990 New York State cross-country championships, and they had it. So you, if you ever want to think I'm exaggerating, I was not exaggerating. That's exactly what happened because they showed it to me about once a week my freshman year. So, but yeah, so it's, you know, I, I, the high schools, would, it was great, and um, I learned a ton. We had success. We had failures, but that's sports, and um, mm. I just, I really did learn a ton. And back to what you say about being on a team, we had a tight team. Um, we had a, a phenomenal team and we had 15 boys and that was it. Uh, but it was, it was, we were tight and we ran a lot of miles together and um, learned a lot about one another and learned about winning and losing together. And, and uh, if I, if I run across those guys, um, especially a couple, uh, it's just like we never left, you know, so it's, it's, it's just a, and the track teams were the same. So very proud high school and, um, and track in New York, especially indoor track is on steroids. You have two or three meets a week. Uh, my coach was not afraid of doubling, tripling, quadrupling me. Um, so I learned about running tired, like the whole season. I think I counted up, I did a hundred indoor track races over the course of my career, indoor track only. 
hundred plus. So, so, so you know, the, the combination of, of, uh, of consistency, uh, yeah. you know, being a runner 12 months out of the year and, and coaching, uh, led to you uh, in high school, uh, receiving scholarship offers from Clemson, UConn, uh, yeah. University of Houston, and of course, uh, UNC Wilmington, where you ended up going. Um, but on, on one particular recruiting trip, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you had brunch. Yeah. Yeah. With a couple of of track and field legends, yep. uh, do you want to tell that story? Uh, part of it. I'm not going to tell a certain part of it, but I'll tell part of it. Now, <laughs> yeah. University of Houston. Um, uh, my high school coach Joe Biddy was friends with the coach there. Um, he liked recruiting New York athletes because he knew kind of we were trial by fire there. <clears throat> you, you, New York, you're put through um, the coals. You know, you, you either he either survived or, or he didn't. And, um, he liked those athletes. So it was my, um, it was, it was the one recruiting trip that, uh, it was, we were showing everything, um, flew us out there. It was a great group of us of eight of us, um, a, a seven foot high jumper of all things, a 50 foot triple jumper. Um, great, great people, uh, girls and guys. Um, and they rolled out the red carpet. So we stayed at the university of Hilton, um, I did not go to a class, ironically, usually on those recruiting. I went to a William & Mary recruiting trip, and I went to a class, and that's when I realized it wasn't for me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this is for me. This might be a little above my head. But, um, but yeah, so it, we didn't go to a class, but um, they were all throughout carpet, and one of it was was brunch with Lero Burrell and, and Carl Lewis, and obviously those names are legendary with being the best track and field athletes of all time, especially Carl Lewis. Um, and to be quite honest, I was awestruck. Um, they pulled, they pulled up on matching Harleys. I remember that very distinctly. Uh, they definitely talked more with, um, athletes that are in their events, which is cool. And they may or may not have made fun of the skinny, the skinny white distance runners. So that was one of them, but yeah, uh, they, it, it was all in good fun though. And, and, um, I can't say, I can't claim to know them. That was my only brush with either of them, but. Uh, they cool. seemed like really cool, real people. They were there for the University of Houston trying to recruit athletes to their alma mater. And you have to respect that, especially as an adult looking back and through my eyes now, that that was pretty cool. So, yeah. in, in um, yeah, that was yeah. that was it. I didn't go to University of Houston though. So obviously. No, you, no, no, you, you didn't. <laughs> you ended up you ended up going to the University of, of yeah. uh, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. So, you know, in contrast uh, to the coaching you received in high school. Um, your, your time at UNC Wilmington was, well, how do we say much more inconsistent, right? Perhaps that's a fair way to put it. Um, you mentioned you had five coaches in five years at the university. Yeah, give or take. So I I say give or, I get say give or take because the responsibilities a couple of times weren't clear, but, um, my freshman year I was recruited by a great guy, Bill Kaysen, um, but he ended up leaving, uh, by spring track. So I was talking with Mr. Coleman and coaching myself. Um, spring track of my freshman year. Ironically, that's when I ran my fastest 5,000, uh, 1446, and I've yet to eclipse that, and I won't ever do that. Um, yeah, we were so unorganized that year because Bill left. We went to Penn Relays, and and I ran under a different name because he didn't. He didn't and I ran 1446 under Sam Bobbitt's name. I couldn't <laughs> believe that. But anyway, so um, and then the next year we got Jim Sprecher, who who, who was a great, successful coach. He he won several conference titles at UNC Wilmington and um, <clears throat> went went to Ball State in Indiana, his home state, then came back to UNC Wilmington, won more. 
Um, and, and, and now he's at Lynchburg in Virginia and he's a great coach. So don't get me wrong, but he, he's, he's a track coach and I'm now a distance coach. Ironically, uh, he coached us my sophomore year and, and his stuff was great. I mean, it was nice and basic and straightforward. Um, and then he hired a distance coach my third year um, and, and my fourth year. Uh, and it just, when you're, have three or four coaches in three or four years, then it's in three or four different approaches, no matter how basic you stagnate. And that was basically summation of my college career. Um, end of my fourth year, and I took a fifth year, I couldn't, um, I kind of put myself through school, couldn't afford summer school. Um, and uh, I just put myself through school and I ended up, I could have graduated in December of my fifth year, but I, I hung on for an outdoor track. Um, and I coached, I exclusively coached myself. Um, uh, not to go into anything, you know, deep. Cause I think everybody's good people. It's just, it was, they, they, I think they felt sorry for me a little bit um, because they, they saw what, what I was my year and what I was kind of the last of the Mohicans that stood there, that stayed there. Um, and uh, they allowed me to coach myself. Um, I wanted to, I found myself a lot and I'll backtrack for a second. And cause I mentioned that this was sort of the beginning of coaching. I, I, volunteered coach a couple of times in high school for like uh, junior Olympic teams for community service hours. I'm like, man, I dig that. I worked with kids at camps. I dug that. I, I dug kids. Um, but um, because of this, because of the inconsistency, I found myself in the library a lot and it was not studying. It was um, reading every book there was on running. Well, it was, was it was, coaching. it was studying, but maybe it wasn't yeah. studying economics. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, economics was like, it kind of came easy to me. So if I got my homework <laughs> done, I was in there. So there's a lot of girls hanging out in the library. So I like going there, but, um, but in, in all seriousness, it was, uh, I, I checked, I, I read a lot. Um, I took a lot of notes. Um, and I, I found myself writing programs. Um, what would I do if I was coaching myself and, um, an everyday program. Matter of fact, the kids at Co Brown see, sort of the format I started using in college for myself. Um, and my proposal to them was, you know, you know, you know, I'm a fit. I was looking back. I must've looked like I was full of myself to them. And I understand, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I was saying, you know, I, I feel as if I can coach myself and, and, and these workouts, this is where I'm getting them from. We had long talks. I think that this will benefit the team. Um, and I, you know, however you want to do it, it, it it could be you doing all the coaching, but I, I just want to be involved and um, I want to have a little bit more uh, say in what I do. And as a fifth year, and um, I'm sure they were dying for me to graduate because at that time I'd worked my way up to have a full scholarship because of the, of some of the accomplishments I had. Um, but it was uh, it was ironic because they said no to that, but they said I could coach myself. But then I had to submit my training. So they were super surprised, especially the head coach, that I gave a whole season long training. Um, and he promptly gave it to the distance coach and I would see my workouts on the, the board because there was no computers. I mean, there was, it's just the dawn of the internet, dawn of all that, um, on the bulletin board, um, would be a week later. So exactly what I was doing one week, they were doing a week later. So, um, you know, honestly, I didn't appreciate that because I was by myself, um, and a bit ostracized. Um, and I, I didn't appreciate that because it could have been a different story. Um, so my passion came for coaching from that because I never wanted another kid to go through that. Um, and if I was a team that I was coaching, I, I made a promise right then that my communication would be superior. Uh, my training would be superior. I would do the best I could possibly be, do. 
um, train them to their individual needs. And that is very easier said than done, especially when you have a team of 50 to 60. Um, you can't have 60 programs, you can't have 50 programs. So we ended up having over the past 22 years in any given year, we'd have three or four different programs for beginner runners, intermediate runners, um, and all the way up to veteran runners. So, um, I feel good about that, man. I feel really good about it. Um, but at that time it was super trying and, uh, I stayed for the school. I love the school. I love the school of education. I love what it did for me. And I did not know how I'd pay for anything else because I had nothing. Um, so um, I fulfilled my duties as a student athlete of UNCW. I went to every meet they assigned me to. I, I did everything they asked me to. Um, and I tried to make things better. But, you know, maybe I didn't use tech as well as I, sh I would be using now. Obviously, I was 21, 22, not, not 41, 42. Um, but I learned a lot about dealing with people and productive conversations. And I just, it shaped me, you know, it shaped me in so, so, so many ways. And um, Dr. Carol Chase Thomas was this, was the associate dean of the School of Education. She was another mentor. So like Mr. Coleman was one, Dr. Thomas was another. Um, and she was this, she is this uh, humongously strong, um, five foot nothing uh, lady, uh, Southern lady that just has a way of building you up and if need be telling you like it is in a very soft-spoken way and uh, she spoke to me in so many different ways i ended up being her graduate assistant assistant for a couple of years and uh it just there's so many great things about uncw and, and I'm, ha I'm proud of myself that i didn't give up on that place because if i gave up on that place then i wouldn't be right here talking to you and i certainly wouldn't have the family i have so um i'm very thankful for my time there mm. Well, I, it, it, it's, there's no doubt, at least to me, in, in, in listening to the story, that it uh, that your time at, at UNC Wilmington um, absolutely shaped who you are today as a as a coach, and that's that's a that's a good segue uh, into into this, uh, Tim. Um, Nineteen New Hampshire Division II cross country team titles, eight New Hampshire Meet of Champions cross-country team titles, one New England cross-country team champion, five New Hampshire Division II track and field team titles, scores of individual titles, All-American state records, New England records, multiple Coach of the Year awards, and even an induction in the Co-Brown Northwood Academy Athletics Hall of Fame. Tim, all that being said, what does success mean to you? Oh, it's funny when you started going into that, I, I was like, I was thinking about um, the people of Wilmington and, and the way they also shaped me. And I, I'm getting to your answer. So to your question, but um, the friends I made there, uh, Dan Peretti, Doug Liming, um, Darren Ford, Jamie Hall, Brent Kasich, because uh, he and I met in college in grad school, um, John Collins, uh, those friendships, uh, the relationships I had with them, uh, really shaped that. So when you say success, uh, they became family when I, when, when I, I have a great family, my brother, my sister, my parents, um, both my parents have passed, but, um, it's, it's a family. It's a great family, but when you're away, you find other ways. So to answer your question, um, success and what it means to me, um, you know, I kind of put that resume together when, uh, 
it was during the pandemic. I had time and my wife kind of said, you know, you should put something together. You never know what life will bring. And, and I, if you ask me those numbers, Chris, even though I put that resume, I don't know them. Um, know. So it's not necessarily about I know. Um, the titles and, and all that. It's really about the, the, not to sound corny or cheesy, but uh, the reason why I got into teaching, the reason why I got into coaching is for relationships, um, relationships with kids um, and helping guide them to, you know, going back to my experiences to limit those challenging experiences. I still think they're healthy for you, but life's going to throw them at you anyway. So I also am very thankful for my time with Mr. Coleman and Dr. Thomas and what they gave me as a gift. Um, and Mr. Biddy and, and Mr. Mr. McCormick, what they gave me and Mr. Waples, gosh, my elementary school, he's got me started running because he talked so much smack about a race we did as a phys ed thing. And I kind of knew how to press my button, but um, uh, they gave me a gift and uh, and I just giving a gift like that through our sport. Um, there's nothing better. And uh, so when you ask me about my definition, definition of success, uh, one of the things I want to work on doing as a post coaching, I'm taking a little break from being, you know, on contract is I want to reach out to our alumni because one of the things that I just didn't have time to do was create that sort of um, community. And because one of the things that Brent and I had preached over and over again is we want this to be a lifelong, um, whether it's an endeavor, activity, passion that's the gift that's one of the gifts or how do you apply that gift to other parts of your life you know whether you're going into teaching like i'm really proud of the fact that uh lucas fisher brooke laskowski they're on our staff they're alum <clears throat> we've had several alum come back and coach for us derek peterson's our throws coach um now after mike costa re retired um it's just it's the relationships and to go back to like you know Gosh, you talk about the track titles, man. <laughs> it's not distance, man. It's it's everybody, you know. And and uh, the relationships we had with our coaches, Mike Costu and I coached together for twenty plus years before you know the pandemic. Um, you know, he he found that he wanted to spend more time with his family during the pandemic, and that's when he retired. And I told him once he's done, I'm done. Gosh, it's it's only been a year or two, but uh, it's those those experiences, you know, having uh, Tom Tangway coach. I coached his kids and and worked with his kids and he's now on staff and he's still going to be on staff. And um, it's just making the relationships. Everybody's so surprised the other teams are about how many coaches we have at Co Brown. And that's a double edge. Cause you have to have, you have to have one voice, but it's okay to have other voices. Cause then the more coaches you have, the, the kids are going to identify with somebody. And it's important for the kids to identify with an adult, a, a, a good example of an adult, um, a good role model. And, you know, we didn't let pride get in the way of, of that because I think the, the more than one person can give the gift. So when we talk about relationships with kids, we also talk about relationships with, with coaches because if you have a coaching staff, I mean, you played football. You have a lot of coaches on the football team. And if you, you, you find a relationship with one of them, I'm sure at least if not more, especially if it's a good staff. Um, and it's really hard in track and field you have almost just as many coaches, but it's not the same game. You know, you don't work together as much. It's very much individual unless you're on a relay. So it's a very much a challenge to build the team spirit, but I'm really proud that we did. And we did that because of our relationships with each other as colleagues, but also as, as athlete and coach. And I know when we're on to something, when the kids look to their coaches 
as teammates. And I say that in a way of teammates during the competition, because we see things clearly because they're an oxygen tent and they're not getting oxygen to their brains um, and they listen. And so when they listen and we say, oh, we're a resource of information, you're the athlete, you're the one running the race, or you're the one stepping in the circle, you're the one with the pole in your hands going down a runway to go. <laughs> I, I coached polo for a while, but I don't understand those athletes. But anyway, um, you need to make the editorial decisions. We're just another source of information. So when they get that and we're able to do that together and we're firing all cylinders, that's my definition of success. When you have full trust, between a coach and an athlete um, on, in the sport and in the, in the field of competition, that also spills over to if they need guidance and other aspects of their lives that's, that's appropriate for a coach or an educator to give. Not to necessarily take the place of a parent at all, but there definitely is a place for a coach to, to uh, give guidance. Um, obviously, 99% of that is with the sport, um, but it's that's the definition of success. And you know, if we are able to teach those values and the values of hard work, which, you know, as the years go on, that, that gets lost, I think, at times, especially with the advent and the in the um, social media and how much that's taken off. And you see just the good or just the perfect perfection in people. Um, the value of hard work is, is a challenge. So once a kid understands the value of the hard ugh, I was talking to a parent last week and they told me how and I never get tired of the story and I've heard it in so many different ways. The fact that one of our athletes missed missed uh, practice because of a doctor's appointment, which is excusable. You, you got to go to the doctor, got to go to the dentist, got to go do these things. It's life. And he came home, got on their treadmill, crappy weather outside, got on their treadmill, still ran for the amount of time that was that was prescribed. When they do that, Chris, you know, that's when they get, they're getting it and they're they're receiving the gift, if you will. So that's my definition of success. If you do all those things, the titles, all that stuff, they come and that's fun. Don't get me wrong for the kids. And I will say for, for Brent and I, um, I remember winning the first title in 2003. We, we won the boys. I was expected. We surprisingly won the girls. That was not expected. We beat a Hanover powerhouse by less than 12 points. And that was not expected. But I remember walking and thinking to myself, validation, and it wasn't validation for me as a person. It was validation that our freaking training worked and our approach worked. Um, so they're definitely benchmarks as far as state championships and things like, like that are concerned. Those are benchmarks. But um, it's really running into alum and, and hearing about their lives and hearing about um, their families, really, and hearing about how happy they are. It obviously is icing on the cake if they're still running because I still believe it's a gift that keeps giving. But when I hear about how they apply um, their what they learn to other things, especially those go in the military, man, I've had so many kids that go in the military that they fall back on Cobra and cross country and they say they got TK in their head <laughs> or, or my voice in their head. It's yeah, it's just, well, let, it's, yeah. Let's let's talk about the, that a little bit because I'm sure I'm, I'm Sorry. glad you no no it's that that was yeah. perfect actually. I'm I'm glad you 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 actually used the word the word values and and this was yeah. something I wanted to ask you about and and I actually I have a tie in to uh, to to alumni as well. So um, so if you know. Coaching philosophy is is talked about quite a bit, and I'm I'm sure at one point or another you 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 you've been asked about what is your coaching philosophy. But let me let me ask let me ask it, but in a, a slightly different way. So, if if coaching philosophy is a is a set of values and beliefs about which transformation is created in your athletes, um, what are your core values 
and how do they end up translate translating into coaching? Um, those are the core values have, have changed, but they haven't changed over the years. And it all started with um, trying to search for the right words, love of what you're doing. Um, and I learned this, it's, this has been validated through um, some of the trials that my own kids have gone through, my daughter, especially, um, and coming out the other side. So if you don't love what you're doing, if you don't love running, number one, you're not going to work for it. Um, you know, if you don't love your craft, whether it's football, whether it's running, whether it's wrestling, whether it's the debate team, whether it's math team, whether it's whatever you do, you're not going to put the time in to get after excellency. So excellence, I should say. So excellence. We talk about this with our team. I always believe everyone should strive for their own personal excellence. And so does, so does Brent Kasich. So we're, we, we're two very different people, but we align very well on our values. So our core values are the pursuit of personal excellence. Um, and if you ask our athletes, they're going to say our core values are attitude and effort. And if you come every day with the appropriate attitude, meaning if it's a recovery run, you're taking recovery, meaning if we're getting down to business with interval work or racing, you have that attitude, effort, the appropriate effort uh, as well. You know, it, you have to have both have to work hand in hand with one another. But then we also throw that in with having fun, because with this sport, with any sport, why did you do it in the first place as a kid to have fun? And if you lose the fun and if you lose that, then you, you can't do anything. So they all kind of work together. So you ask about core values. I know I'm kind of rambling, but it's because it is a ramble. Um, it's it's all of those things working with each other. Um, the Great attitude, great effort, having fun. The love of what you do will help you work, put in the necessary work to become excellent for your own personal excellence. We really try to talk to our kids because – Gosh, you have 60 kids or 100 kids on our track team. They're all different levels of talent. You can't control talent. So to try to help them understand that, um, we always talk about personal potential and achieving your personal potential, seeing where you start and improving upon that. That's why we keep track of every single performance, every single time of every single workout. I have files from 2000 all the way to now. Still paper files because I still do not put it on the computer. I'm still old school like that. Matter of fact, we did workouts today, and Lucas Fisher put together the workouts on the same on the same table and the same paper, same clipboards, and we're writing them down. And I told him, look, you really need to be 21st century, take pictures and put them into a file. But right now, you can look through our I have files. So um, consistency, attitude, effort—they all work hand in hand. And if you don't have the love of it, you suffer a traumatic injury or sickness, it's going to be hard to come back from. So check, so check this out, Tim. So, um, I asked my daughter, Madison, oh, no. who, who ran for you, <laughs> oh, no. but before, before I should have asked show. you this first, I should have asked no, you. No, ask no, 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 I, no, I, I purposely didn't, I purposely didn't tell you this. Oh, great. <clears throat> so I, I, I sent my daughter, Madison, a text and I, <clears throat> before, before this show. And I, I said to her, I said, I'm doing a podcast with with Tim this evening, Coach Cox. I said, um, I said, what words would you describe his core values? So I, I asked one of your former athletes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What your core values were? Okay. So so you just you just you just described it from your perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah. I thought you would appreciate the perspective of one of your athletes. Now this was 12 years ago now, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, so get this, so this is what, so this is what she said. Okay. Um, she said, I would say as a coach, he valued team camaraderie, yep. consistent and honest effort yep. and love of sport. Oh my gosh. Now, Tim, that's almost exactly what you just yeah. said. Awesome. She, she also said this, um, she said he knew how to push us to a point where we would surprise, we could surprise ourselves. She said he saw potential in all his athletes, not just the varsity team. And he coached as such, which made the JV athletes, she said me, feel appreciated and like important members of the team, which is something she said, which is sometimes not always the case in high school athletics. Tim, what, what, what do you think when you hear those, those thoughts from a former athlete? Uh, that's it. Yeah. There you go. You got me teared up, Madison. You suck. <laughs> uh, that makes me feel good. It also, uh, you know, some thoughts I have to be quite honest is, is, uh, I'm afraid that maybe I haven't done such a good job with JV athletes in the last couple of years. And um, that's why one of the reasons why maybe I need to take a break because I think Lucas and Brooke will do better. So, um, and I try, but it's, it's, um, it's tough, but uh, yeah, that's exactly what, um, that's exactly what I was going for. And uh, I'm, I am happy to say I've heard that a few times, but uh, the way you framed that Chris was, was masterful. So, well, those got, were you said you tell her she got me, and and um, she's those still were her, those were her yeah. words, my friend. Cool. Those were <laughs> those were those were entirely her words, and I I, I don't think uh, there there's any irony uh, in in the fact that um, uh, both you as the coach and her as the athlete were able to describe your core values um, yeah. almost to a T. Um, because clearly, um, these, you know, these, these weren't just words that were scratched on a, on a piece of paper given as a pamphlet given to parents on, you know, on, on, on the first night of, of introduction. I mean, it was something that, I mean, it was, you know, your, your core values are, are how you approached every day with the kids. Right. So, yeah. you know, at some point, I mean, if it was just, if it was a one-off, you know, a one-liner, uh, yeah. you know, a, a, a subtitle to, to Co Brown Northwood Academy cross country, no kid would have ever, ever remembered that the truth is, yeah. you, I mean, you, you and Brent and the, and the other coaches, you, you live that day in and day out. Let me, let me ask you one more thing about, about coaching. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty big thing. Um, it, it, clearly you, uh, and Brent and your staff, um, you know, over the course of 20 plus years, I mean, I, I read off just some of the, 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 the accomplishments that the, that the kids that you all coached, um, uh, achieved. Um, it, it, it's not easy. It's, it's easy to have a talented kid come across your, your ranks and, uh, you know, for four years and run to state titles and, you know, makes you look like a great coach, makes you look like you have a great program. Um, 
what I'm always impressed by, though, is the is the sustained success over time. In other words, the building of of programs, the building of successful programs. Hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, I think by any measure, um, anyone and everyone that I've ever talked to who, who looks at and, and talks about uh, Co Brown Northwood Academy, the cross country programs and the track and field programs, <clears throat> d- describe those programs um, as successful. Um, Tim, what's the, uh, not a secret necessarily, but what, what's the formula do you think, um, to build, to build successful programs, sustainable, successful programs over time? Well, honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't, it's, it's something that just happened because it was a product of everything we've already gone over. Um, as a coach, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love the kids. Number one, if you're not a champion for kids, then what are you doing? Then you're in it for yourself. Um, and I'm proud to say that, that Brent and I are never in it for ourselves and our, the coaches that we choose to work with and choose to have on, um, we see the same thing. So, um, I never set out for that. I never set out for titles. Like matter of fact, like I said, New York, you don't win titles. It's hard. Um, it's such a huge state. It doesn't even occur to you. So when I started coaching in New Hampshire, I was super happy. The first year we got third. I'm like, man, that's awesome. If we get third every year, I'll be so happy. This is great. Because it was all about getting to know the kids. It was all about getting them, them to believe in themselves. And that's still what it is. But every kid, like I said before, like you just alluded to, they have different levels of talent. We're just lucky. I won't even say it's luck because I think it's everywhere and every community has that. It's just investing in the kids and and helping them to believe in themselves. And we have been lucky where um, different levels of talent have come, but also talent comes in the form of hard work because some kids are uh, everyone, not kids, but individuals. Some individuals are more akin to hard work and some individuals are look at that as they're averted to that. They don't want to do the hard work. And somehow, some way over the consistency of what we try to teach but the beauty of our sport and doing it every day and throwing something different at them every day and keeping it, keeping the variety there between the long run and the tempo run and the fart lick, which I always giggle about the easy run, the this, that, if they stick with it, they see the value in it and they stay, it's, it's just investing in kids. So when you talk about a secret, it's a lifestyle and trying to teach a lifestyle and, you know, all of a sudden, you, after that, those first couple of titles in 2003, you know, didn't even mention the JV titles. We've won a several of those. Um, those are byproducts of everything we're trying to teach. So when you talk about a byproduct, that's not what you're focused on. Um, a byproduct is something that happens because of something. And um, it happens because we teach the love of sport and we, the kids that choose to come out and stay out stay because of the love of sport and the camaraderie that is built in the team. And there's, there's great sports out there, but when you're running cross country and you're running track as a distance runner, or even as in any kind of athlete on the track team, you share a lot of hard work and it's not everybody's favorite thing to do. And when you share those things and you pull for one another, um, the boys team didn't win their first title for outdoors until a few years ago. And that year we had the field events scored as many points as the track events. And that that's a like you talk about a barometer for success. 
that day you had jumpers going over to the throwing cages. You had the throwers going to the distance side. You had, they were all supporting one of each other because they're the team. So as far as a secret, Chris, it's really just being there every day and being consistent because the kids are going to see those, those one-liners, like you said, if there's nothing behind those, then they're not going to do it. Um, they, you, they have to see that you're there for them every day and it's genuine and they see bullshit from a mile away. So, oh, sorry, I shouldn't, they see BS from a mile away. So it's, it's just, um, and, and I guess that's one of the reasons why, like, um, I've decided to take a, a step away. You know, both my kids are going to be going to the same school, two of two, my three and, and Broden, I, I just feel like, um, because of his birth order, uh, got, got the shaft a little bit with how much time, um, well, I get the shaft actually, cause he's fine, but I want to spend, I want to spend more time with him. Um, so, but I did feel like, um. I don't know. Some of the things I've I've put my position myself into doing, whether it's a putting on a, a big meet with our community or hosting a state championship or meet directing a New England championship, or th- I just felt like we could do it better. Um, it's very basic. Um, if I feel like I could do something better than what's been done before, not personal, but just something better, um, I get very motivated by that. I didn't realize that till <clears throat> probably ten years ago, but. Uh, if I also feel as if I'm not doing it to my full ability because my attention is diverted and I feel rightfully so because it's my family and my two, my oldest two kids are going to only be in college for a short amount of time. You know how that is. And, um, and my youngest is only going to be in seventh or eighth grade for a time. And then high school, um, it's just, it's some of the veteran coaches in New Hampshire said their one regret because they put all the time in the world and it was they didn't spend enough time with their family and I'm not, that's not going to be me. So um, that's, and I also going back to what I really wanted to say, I feel as if uh, the people that come after me, um, whether Lucas Fisher, Pete Larson, Brooke Laskowski, I think they're ready to do it better. I think they're ready to put the time in and, uh, and who am I to say that they're not anyway. So yeah, and 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 certainly in in terms of um, inheriting a model of success, um, you you know you you are handing the program over to them, and the program is in really good shape. I wanted you uh, before we before we get on to the the, the last topic. I wanted you uh, to, to just touch upon um, what I think, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Really, the other two dimensions of of building a successful program, obviously there. You know, we've talked about the athletes and coaches, but um, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you would would disagree or not that that the other two important dimensions to building successful programs are parents and, and administration. Um, yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit, Tim, yeah. about the the role of, of parents uh, and administration to the success of the, the <clears throat> programs uh, and the program that that you and Brent and, and the others have built over the last 20 years? hundred percent. If we didn't have the support of administration and parents, there's no way we could do what we do, period. Um, administration, Matt's kids, Dave Smith, um, and, and now Sam Strauss, if they don't support what we want to do from going to certain meets that we feel are more appropriate for our kids to allowing us to bring 50, 60 cross-country runners, trusting us to do a camp in the middle of the summer all the way up in Acadia or, you know, when Maddie was here, um, you know, it's, it's without that, there's, that's not going to happen. And then, um, so super appreciative, like landing at the exact right place that, that allows us to do what we wanted to do. 
Um, and then the parents says it's, um, you know, people see the events on the surface. So talking about the events, we can't uh, have a big event if we don't have people that are willing to go park cars for us. Um, be course monitors, work to shoot, uh, work events. There's no, just no way. But the trade-off is great because the more home events we have, the earlier the kids get home to do their homework and they're happier, all this, all that, than the other thing. But the other part of the parent aspect is <clears throat> that's the other kind of level of success. When you can be on the same page as the parent as far as them understanding their role, and I could talk about being a parent myself with athletes on our team and understanding their role of helping to support because we're all in support of the kids. You know, obviously the parents are number one and they should be, obviously, what am I saying? You know, but it's, um, but when they understand their role as a parent in their child's life as an athlete, nutrition, getting them to the doctor, making sure they get the sleep, making sure their priorities are in the right way for the goals that the kids have stated to them, helping them support to meet their goals. Um, if parents are not in support of that, it is very difficult for the student athlete to have the success that they have communicated they want. So if that's not happening, that's tough. And I'm not gonna lie, we've been at odds with parents before, um, not because we're trying to overstep, but because um, they may not have supported their student athletes the way that their student athletes want them to support them. So, and it's not been at odds where we're clashing. It's just more of, okay, we feel bad because it's, it's just not gonna happen. So, um, but the flip side of it, when they do support, oh my gosh, it's a, it's the beautiful thing because we're able to take them to like a Nike cross regionals and eventually Nike nationals. And the, without the support of parents, that's so difficult. It's so difficult. There's, it's almost impossible. Um, and I cannot tell you how many parents I've hugged because their athlete has, you know, everybody thinks about state championships, but um, Scott Cafaso is a name from my first year of coaching. He had spent the whole season. He's, he's not, he was not athletic and he'd be the first one to say it, but he broke 24 minutes for the first time at Plymouth, toughest course in the world, hugging him, hugging parents. It's just, it's such a great experience to experience with them because they're the biggest fans. And, um, without having that, it wouldn't be as enhanced of experience, but it definitely wouldn't be possible to do everything that we do. Yeah. Well, great segue into, um, into the last, uh, topic I wanted to, to talk about with you. And that is, uh, Tim, uh, Cox as parent and coach. Yeah. Um, so your, your oldest two, who, who we, who you mentioned Addison, your daughter, uh, and Aiden, your oldest son, uh, who by the way, are both running at the university of Virginia or yeah, Aiden's going to go next year. Aiden, yeah. Aiden will be at the university, university of Virginia. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, uh, so, uh, but, but both of them ran for you or are running for you or ran for you at, at Cobrown Northwood Academy. In other words, you, you had a chance to coach your kids. Um, wh what was that like for you Tim, to, to be able to coach your kids? Well, I mean, you know, it's everything that you, we've talked about, about what, what we try to instill in our athletes, we try to instill in our kids, which is a love of running, a love of activity, a love of health, a love of the pursuit of excellence, if you will. So um, it was kind of natural. <clears throat> it's also natural because I grew up. I mean, you, you guys have known us long enough. You know, it's you saw them when they were little and, and, and following us around at the cross country courses, tracks and at snowshoe races and this, that and the other thing. So um, everybody thought that it was a predetermined um, 
that we were forcing them to do everything, but that's not the case, to be quite honest with you. And, and if you want to look any further than Broden, um, it's they we never forced them out the door to go for a run. We never forced them to to do anything. It's really up to them. Um, and you know, coaching Addison is a different experience than coaching Aiden. Um, Addison, is, as far as a communication communicator, communicated way too much in a good way. Um, and then also Aiden, it's been he's a boy, so teenage boys. Do you get a lot out of him, Chris? <laughs> Not really. Getting a lot out of Aiden now, thankfully, but that's yeah, with two seasons to go. But um, how can I say this? Uh, coaching your own kids is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, the highest of highs when they do well, there's nothing better. And, you know, I, it's it's just the God's honest truth. They're your kid. So whenever your kid is successful and whether people call me playing favorites, they're my kids. So, so when they, they're successful, there's nothing better. Okay. Um, they're your own kids. And, but when they're struggling, that's the hardest thing in the world. And I have never been more challenged, um, as a parent or a coach when my, until my kids are struggling. And, uh, Addison went through a lot in high school from Lyme disease to a stress fracture in her back where, um, you know, prior to that, I, I saw her love of running waning because she was feeling pressure because she was a good middle school athlete. And, you know, um, freshman year was great. Sophomore year was tough. And, and then she, she lost her junior year to all that. And, but then like, I go back to the love of running. If it wasn't for the love of running, she wouldn't have come back. And she came back and had an incredible senior year. And obviously, um, and now is at University of Virginia. So that's the lowest of lows. That's what I'm talking about. It's never about them losing. It's never about them losing. It's never about um, them not achieving a goal at all. That's part of life. It's about the trials that they go through and when they're truly, truly struggling. And Aiden has truly struggled um, with growing pains, with um you know, PTSD from not knowing what his body's going to do. I mean, he grew so fast and he's taller than me now. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, um, he's still working through that and, and he's going to be great. He's going to be fine. But, you know, there's just those moments that as a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, that's the lowest of lows and it just gets multiplied when you're the coach. So, um, trying to shelter them. Aiden was very successful as, as a very young kid. Um, and, saying no to interviews from national publications for a 10 year old and then kind of being lectured about denying my 10 year old an opportunity to uh, that was fun you know not at all so we had our values with our kids and you know it was never about that kind of recognition it's about love of running and the value of hard work and what you can learn about life through that and um i think both of them including broden um, the third, but both of them, uh, I still find Aiden state championship rings in his car. Um, still find medals or plaques that are just very special and they're in his bag or they're in somewhere. They're not, there's not really trophy cases in our household. Uh, it's very cool. It's not about that with them. Um, when Addison and I'll end it with this, and this is what I'm most proud of with both with our kids when addison got back and she you know won a couple state titles and you know was the best runner in new hampshire and was on her she went to unh for a year was on her way to unh and on a full scholarship and you know when she you know we 
took a breath. You know, it was a lot of hard work and we took a breath together. I'm like, hey, what did you miss the most when you were laid up for, gosh, it was, we had to pull her off an indoor track her junior year. Um, she was just so sick. She couldn't focus on schoolwork. And I'm like, what did you miss the most? Did you miss the winning? Did you miss it? She's like, no, I just miss being able to run eight to 10 miles feeling good. And that's what she missed the most. She says she missed her runs around Bull Lake. She said she missed just running and feeling good. Um, Aiden, when he's gone through what he's been going through, he uh, said he doesn't feel pressure from being, people call him Aiden Cox, you know, and kids ask for pictures with him. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, he doesn't feel pressure from them. She, he doesn't feel pressure from others and what they think about. He just misses running fast and loving the feeling of running well and, and that. So that's what he misses. So even in those lowest of lows that I just remarked, um, it's just, I feel good that they're, because I feel as if those kind of values, they translate to success in life. Because if you're just doing it for the medal and you don't get the medal, then, and you cry about it or you're upset about it, then that's not, that's not why you do anything worth doing. So I'm really proud of them for that. So do we push them harder? We only push them hard if they're ready for it. It's the same way with every athlete on our team. Do we expect more? Um, yeah, we expect more, but that's in the respect of they've seen what we expect. And I expect them to know that before I even say it. And sometimes you forget that they're on our, they're, that they're kids. Um, and have we been perfect? No. Um, but it's, it's been a great process <clears throat> and Addison still texts me every day or calls me every day. So I guess things are going, things were pretty good with her. We'll see what Aiden does next year. So, <laughs> so <laughs> all, all three of your kids, uh, all, all three of your kids are, are smart and, and they're athletic. And so they clearly, they take after your, your wife, Jen, 100%. Um, <laughs> but, and you alluded to it, but one of your kids, um, did something, uh, pretty special a few years back. And, and, and I want to ask you about that. Um, you, you alluded to it uh, in passing and in, but for the listener that that's not familiar with the story um, in, in, in April of 2016, your son, Aiden, then a 10 year old fifth grader uh, ran a 1724 at the C five K road race in Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, at the time, setting the 5K world record for 10-year-olds. Uh, and after the race, you and your wife, Jen, finally told him uh, that, that he had also set the world record for nine-year-olds uh, at 1803 at the me. same race the year before. But you didn't tell him that the, the year before. Um, <laughs> I have a couple questions about that. First is, <laughs> why did you... I think, but I, and I think I know the answer because I know you, but for the listener, why did you wait a year to tell him that he had uh, not only broken one record, but had broken two? Uh, two reasons. One, um, he was nine. And what the heck does a world record mean to a nine-year-old? Um, and that's not why he was doing it. He just was running fast. I think he was upset that he didn't catch the 35-year-old adult in front of him. I don't know. Um, that's just just didn't come up. Um, and the other, th the other reason too is, and I've always said this, I don't know if they record five K's in Kenya for 10 year olds or 11 year olds. So really how much of a world record is that? So, um, and the third reason is 
and this is why we we turned down um, certain, I won't say opportunities, but certain interviews or things like that is the last thing I wanted was fast forwarding to high school and his body totally changes. See, one thing you don't know, um, Jen, my wife, and just to make sure we understand this, she's the number one reason why I coach. Because if she told me to stop coaching, I would stop. Because happy wife, happy life. But I love her that much. It's it's what we do. Um, and she, because of her support over the years of all the hours, all the time, and really more of her getting involved, because she's very much involved, um, wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. But where was I going with that? Um, we didn't. Oh, yeah, that's where I was going. So the Larsons, that's her maiden name, have some very big gentlemen in their family. The Coxes, we have some very big gentlemen in our family. Who knows what his body was going to do? You know, so the last thing I wanted was from as a junior and he's struggling as a runner and people walking by. Don't you remember that kid? He was a world record holder. Don't you remember him going on this show or this show or getting this interview? Come on. Too much pressure on a 10 year old, nine year old. Some people got upset with us, but I don't regret that at all. I love it. And, um, you know, obviously he knows, but we had the, the conversation about the Kenyans and, and all that, and he doesn't care. You know, he'd rather not even talk about it because it's just not that important to him. Um, and um, it's probably been broken, so. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. I actually, I'm, re I'm recalling now the conversation that we had about it uh, at some point uh, after it happened. And uh, I, I swear you, I think you said the exact same thing to me about the fact that it's almost a certainty that they, that they, that, that that the world record that there's there haven't really been opportunities for 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 yeah. Kenyan ten year old boys yeah. to run a road five k yeah. uh, race. Yes, to to your point with uh, a tailwind. Yeah, no. with a yeah with with Just a tailwind kidding. and a pacer. <laughs> um, la last follow up question uh, to to that uh, Tim is this because I think I think I think this part of it I I, I think is is informative uh, for other parents. <clears throat> how did you, how did you and Jen walk the razor's edge uh as parent and and for you coach uh of a young protege you know i mean you you clearly he he you know he he showed some um some some talent and potential um uh, but you didn't you didn't drive him harder uh, but but you know how did you how did you balance that how how did you walk that very fine line of my goodness we maybe we have something really special on our hands. Um, and it, how did you show discretion? Uh, how, how did you, how did you not sort of lean in fully on, on, on the young, on the young kid and, and end up potentially driving him away from the sport, which, which clearly you didn't because, um, you know, Aiden went on to continue to develop. How did you walk that yeah. racer's edge? Oh, we never forced him to do anything. Um, it was, uh, we provided opportunities for sure. So <clears throat> we, we, we take him to, to meets in New York City. Um, he ran the middle school national championships, <clears throat> excuse me, um, indoor mile because he loved it. Um, we, we took him to USATF national cross country meets. He won one of those. I think it was this 10 year old. That was a good year for Aiden um, down in Alabama. But we also didn't go when the nationals were out in, um, oh gosh, Reno, Nevada. We didn't go there. We could have, but we were like, man, 11 years old or 12, whatever it was, that's, that's a lot to ask on a 12 year old. So we always kept his age in mind. Um, 
to go out to run at altitude, um, fly away across the country. Uh, it, that's a lot. That's a lot in high school. And I guess the, the perspective of being a coach of a couple teams at NXN, they had to go to all the way to Oregon and deal with those challenges gave us, gave us perspective on that because it's just a lot. And so I would like to say we never forced anything. Um, and I'd also, if they ever had anything bothering them, um, I never allowed them to run Jen and I never allowed them to run in pain. So they took days off. They did other stuff. They biked, they, uh, swam, they ran in the water. It, it, we, something happened. They took a few days off. So it, it, and we just reminded ourselves they're 13 or 12, they're 16 they're 17. Um, we just got to be careful. Um, then they, like Addison didn't tell us about her back for, uh, she didn't tell us about her back. And so, cause she knew, and it, and I guess that was the, 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 the slippery slope of that, of, of kind of having that as a rule. Not that we said it was a rule. It was just like, that's how we reacted. So um, yeah, it was, so razor's edge is an interesting term, um, but it's, you got to provide the opportunity if they want it. Um, we have obviously done that uh, by going to these meets and traveling. Um, but also never pushing. So we never said, hey, do you want to go do this? And if they said no, we never did. Um, they didn't really say no. A lot of times it was us holding them back. If Aiden was allowed as a youngster, he would have been running 50, 60 miles a week, even 40. Matter of fact, he told one of our old friends on a on a run, I, I lied to him. Okay, so when he was like, when he was sixth or seventh grade, I would say, yeah, you're running 40 miles a week. He was like, I don't know, 20, you know, 15, 20. And he told her and she believed it. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, he's, he doesn't even know how much he runs. Cause I don't even count it up. Like we just go out and have fun. And I was on a run hike up in the white mountains for goodness sakes. So it was just, but it was, he just didn't know. So we don't count like it's like Broden right now is a great, great example. Um, he's playing on the basketball team. He's playing soccer. We, we encourage that. Uh, we went to, on Sunday, we went down to Boston to the new track and he ran for his junior Olympic club in a three K. Um, we don't train him for that per se. He came to a couple of Cole Brown practices, did some stuff with the kids on the track and there was nothing specific to it. And he ran the track race and when his schedule allows, he'll come to practices when it doesn't allow, we're not going to do that. He'll do bad. Like tonight at a basketball game, he's not going out for a run. You know, it's one physical activity a day. And, um, that was the same for Aiden, same for Addison. It's, we're not going out of our way, so to speak. Um, the trips we love, they're a lot of fun. We've had family members go with us. We've had friends meet us. It's fun. So, it, and if the fun, if there was ever not fun, we didn't do it. So as far as walking the razor's edge, and I know we're running over time, but as far as walking the razor, razor's edge, it's, it's, uh, it's honestly, it's, it's, if you love of running, I'm talking love of your kid. So you're not going to push your kid over push your kid if it's uh if i don't know i'm not i'm not here to lecture anybody else so it's it's what works for us so yeah well that's i mean that's exactly what i what I, what i was looking for um yeah. you know I, I mean i i think i think sometimes parents um uh maybe make the, the not so wise decision at times because it ends up being more about the parent and less about the kids, you know, parents living vicariously through the accomplishments and achievements of, of their kids. 
um, you, you clearly didn't need to do that. You, you had had your own success as a, as a young person athletically. Um, and, uh, you know, truly it, it is and continues to be not only about you. I mean, you, you mentioned your kids and, 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 you know, I know when you say my kids, I know you're talking about your family, <clears throat> but I know you're also talking about every kid that you've ever coached when you talk yeah. about our kids. Um, Tim, let's, let's finish with this. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a part of the show. I like to call three random questions. It's a fun little, little segment of the show in which I spring three, uh, random questions on you. No, Great. uh, no, no preparation. This is completely off the top of your head. I, I enjoy, uh, seeing people think, uh, uh <laughs> nimbly on their feet. So, but for the listener, uh, will you confirm, uh, that you have not received these three questions in advance? I, I confirm. Yeah, this is I'm most nervous about this moment right now. <laughs> okay, here we go. First random question for Tim Cox. Tim, uh, what was what was the last book you read? Oh, uh, I'm a reading teacher, so I should know this, right? You put me on my spot. Um, <laughs> One More Day by Mitch Album. Okay, so Mitch Album has uh, he's a uh, well he. He 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 was a sports writer, but he also writes he also writes mm -hmm. non sports related books, I believe. Yep. Yep, um, this is one of what, them. What, what 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 is what's the what's the synopsis? What's the Reader's the, Digest synopsis of uh, of of this book? The basic uh, premise of it is is um, spending one more day. This this former baseball player actually played in the World Series, um, but has fallen on hard times and uh, very hard times. Becomes a drunk. Um, actually is in a drunk driving accident in which, well, anyway, he, um, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, he spends one more day with his mother who died eight years ago. Okay. So the things that come up with that is, uh, is pretty interesting. I re highly recommend all the albums books, but this one really spoke and to me, especially after my, uh, my parents passed away. So, right. um, and again, the, the, the title of that book was? One more day by Mitch album. One more day by Mitch album. I did pretty uh, good with that one. That's good. I, you, I feel you good. You did really good. You're off to a good start. Tim, random question number two. Yeah. Uh, if you could have any superpower, oh gosh, what would it be? That's a, I should. We asked that on our on our website. We should. I should be. I should knew that one. Um, <laughs> I should have a stock answer for that one, but it's always <laughs> challenging because the boring one is to fly. Because everybody says to fly, that's boring to me. Oh, that'd be really cool, though. I just superpower the flash, man. Run fast. <laughs> That's boring for a runner, but I don't care. <laughs> Imagine running that fast. Imagine get <laughs> turn back time. Come on. How many times does the flash do that? Well, you know, it's it, funny because when I when I think of when I think of superpowers and I think of you and I think of your family, um, <laughs> I actually think of the Incredibles and I think of I think of Dash, right? The yeah, that was the, 80s, uh, yeah. Right? Uh, wasn't 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 he wasn't he one of the, wasn't he one of their, his boy that uh, yep. that ran super fast and won all the races? Yeah, uh, that that's that's what I that's what I think. All right, well that's uh, that was fairly cliche a fairly cliche answer, Tim, but we'll we'll take it. Yeah. Um, Tim, here's here's uh, here's my third and final question for you. Uh, Tim, what's your final word for the listener? Oh. <laughs> um, my final word, one word. <laughs> is it one word? Let, let's let yeah, maybe let's let's not interpret that literally. What okay. what is what is your final sentiment uh, for the listener? Um, 
key to happiness is love what you do. How's that? I would say, well, <laughs> I, I think that's extraordinary. And I would, I would say that your, uh, that, that your, uh, professional career, uh, and, and your family, uh, speak, uh, speak to that, I think, uh, in spades. Um, Tim, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you. How telling is it that my daughter, Madison, more than a decade after she graduated, could still describe Tim's core values almost exactly as he did. That doesn't happen by coincidence. It happens because of consistency. Taking concepts such as teamwork, effort, and love, and being a living manifestation of them day in and day out. Kids notice those things. And when they begin to live your core values, success follows. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to your homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check it out. And lastly, remember the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.